Everybody good? Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. Cool. All right. Cool, or did you mean ghoul? <laughs> huh? Oh, yeah. Ghoul. <laughs> like, we just swapped roles for a second there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um. <clears throat> Good evening, lonely highway drivers, and welcome to the third annual slow motion triple feature Shocktober Spookstravaganza. <laughs> As you know, we are a podcast in which three friends watch three movies over the course of three weeks. Every October, we get a little spooky with it and collaborate on, a, on selecting a terrifying triple to shiver our respective timbers. I'm your host, Mike Keller, and I'm joined today by my good friends, Kit and Andrew. Tonight, we're finishing off Shocktober with 1962's Carnival of Souls, directed by Herc Harvey, written by John Clifford, and starring Candace Hillegloss and Sidney Berger, or Berger, probably. Um, welcome, everybody. How are we all doing today? Uh, I'm doing great, Mike. Cool. It's uh, I'm spooky. Yeah. You look spooky. You look like you're sleeping in I'm a dark tired. room. <laughs> yeah. She's tired. I'm scarily tired. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Very cool. Um, um, well, yeah. How's uh? We got we are mere days away from the big event, um, Halloween. Oh, man, I'm getting nervous, dude. I'm getting nervous. Why is that? Cause it's freaking Halloween, man. Yeah, like, dude. What if something bad? What if, stuff? what if something goes wrong? What if I, you know, accidentally summon a demon? What if I, no. um, fail an exorcism? What? You know, anything could happen. What if I accidentally walk into a haunted house? You know, Man, so anything so is possible. Cool. Yeah, anything's possible. So that's 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 what I'm nervous about. Yeah, what, I hear you, you. Do you have any big Halloween plans? I've got guns and ammunition for they'll keep me through days, and I am just ready to <laughs> hunker down. And I'm not walking into any strange houses. Yeah, I am, I am not. Uh, yeah, so I'm waiting by. I'm waiting prepared. For dawn. Smart man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's smart. That's smart. <laughs> my my friends moved into a new place this summer, and they just found out that their street is like the official trick or treating street of that neighborhood. So <laughs> really? we're gonna go. We're gonna what? go over there, and like they're like they invited everybody over. Like, hey, come on! <laughs> like we might actually get trick or treaters. So come, cause like it's hard in Chicago to know you know where to go like lee and i usually we live on the fourth floor so we usually leave and like go for a walk to go like at least look at the trick-or-treating happening yeah um, but i've never gotten to hand out candy like ever in my life last um, year was the first year that we had like a house and people came and trick-or-treated so it was freaking very nice. rad it was fun we watched i think we already talked about that but yeah mm -hmm. i had i downloaded this thing that was like two hours of simpsons halloween specials recorded like back in 1996 or something and i just oh, had that fun. on perfect halloween mood and then had trick-or-treaters coming up for a few hours and so cool. it was the best now, day of my life <laughs> not not the birth of your child nor your wedding day no That's no good. that was that was a lot of stress all of both of those were very stressful sure kind of gross too pretty nasty the wedding yeah. <laughs> i thought it was beautiful both both were very slimy affairs <laughs> um what kind of this is a very important question you're a first time like trick or treater house, right? So that's mm -hmm. so you're on the, you're on the other side of the door. What are you handing out? Okay, so Franken cup Reese's is what we've got for this year. Okay, nice. uh, and nice. then that's pretty good, dude. They're good. Uh, and then uh, the ghoulish green Snickers. So I think it's like the nougat is green. I have never nougat. seen those. I think they're new this year. I don't remember seeing them. Yeah, the Franken cups were from last year. 
I know. I know. At least last year they had Reese's Frankenstein. I'm absolutely yeah, so that's what we're doing. blown away. That is fantastic. Well, that is very yeah, well very, thought out. That's very good. I, I do what I can. What are you? Are you giving out stuff? See, I don't. I don't. I don't like to. I don't like to give out candy. I like to accept candy. So uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't actually support. I, I support people going out and trick or treating. I think that's great. Um, I don't support the house that I live in willingly giving candy away i see i, li- I, I, got, a, I got a candy drawer 10 10 feet he's from got us right tons now. of candy i do i but do he doesn't want to give it to i don't kids. so like um it's, it extends to other treats too you know denise every year she tries you know for christmas and for halloween she likes to make things for her you know her nephews and her niece and and send like treats and this year she made this incredible caramel corn hmm really good like honestly the best caramel like i don't really like caramel corn that much because it's like sticky and a mess and hard to eat um but it was like salty and just so so good and then she put it in bags and she's like i saved you these bags but i went through all of them weighed them and kept all of the heaviest bags for myself and gave the children (laughs) all the like because they're not going to appreciate it the way i'll appreciate it (laughs) That's true. And they'll never know. So what does it matter? And the same thing with the cookies. You know, I make sure that, like, I get the <laughs> best looking, the, the biggest looking cookies stay in our house where I can enjoy them. And then the children can have whatever scraps <laughs> I don't want. Um, but, nice. yes, to answer your question, wow. um, she is she bought a single bag, like a single, not that big bag of, like, little Sour Patch Kids, which I think is I like Sour Patch Kids, but I think that is the the lamest fucking bag of 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 Halloween candy I've ever seen in my life, and it's tiny. <laughs> There's like twenty of them in there, and uh, huh. so I don't think. Do you guys not get a lot of trick or treaters? No, we don't. Um, maybe would, maybe she's gonna fall back on your candy drawer. Oh. I, uh, no, I'll put a lock on that fucker. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm. You know, Mike's got. Hit, I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna borrow Mike's gun and stand by my candy drawer until the Sitting sun comes your, up. Yeah. Your shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> Keep on moving. That's right. <laughs> oh, very nice. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's uh, good. Sounds like we all keeping up the Halloween spirit. Mm-hmm. Um. So let's uh, let's chat about Carnival of Souls. Um. Had either of you guys seen this film before? Nope. Neither. Okay. No. Um, okay. Well, you've talked what did you about think? it for like twenty five years or however long we've known each other, though. Yes, this is one of my favorite movies, mm. which I've probably said on a lot of episodes, but I do pick some of my favorite movies so that we can chat about them. Is it? Uh, but yeah, this is, is it beca- long, long history. Is it because the movie was made in Lawrence, Kansas? Partially, yeah, it's partially made in Lawrence, Kansas, and I've actually been in almost every location that was in Lawrence, Kansas. So some of the ones in Utah, obviously I haven't been to, but I've been inside the house, the boarding house uh, that she stays at. I went and knocked on their door and they let me in and kind of showed Aww. me around. Cool. Um, Wait, so what, what is what is it? Did it look like that? Yes, it looked very similar. I mean, it was, you know, painted, you know, it was freshened up from 1962 or whatever. But uh, yeah, back in 2005, I think, maybe 2004, but back when I was in college and I was in Lawrence, um i did a little tour because there was the dvd set of this had like the special feature where you could see like some of the locations and i just i think i don't remember if it was imdb or what but i just figured out where all the places were around town and i just went and took pictures and um but the church let me in it was like you know probably like a friday afternoon so 
I think churches are usually open. I don't know if all churches do that, but like, um, I just chatted with somebody in the front and they kind of showed me around. So like where the organ is and everything like that, that mm-hmm. was all really very similar to when, um, when I got to see it and like, you know, in the movie that's in Utah, but in where they filmed it was actually in Lawrence, Kansas. And then like the organ company, I got to come with the organ company. I was there wondering these, about was, that place. Yeah. Well, it's, it's closed, but, and it was, I mean, and it was closed back then too. Um, but it was like, there was some guy there who was like cleaning out. I don't, I don't know. And like, it had been closed for a long time, but they, they had it open and there were some contractors or somebody doing something. And then they, they let me go poke around. So I actually got to go up like, you know, the scene where like, they're in the organ company and she's practicing and they're like looking down Mm -hmm. from that kind of like little platform. Yeah. So I stood up on the, I I was up on the platform and took a picture and then like Mm -hmm. I went down on the floor and I just poked around the room for the the building for like 20 minutes. And the guys, guys, the guys were just like, be careful, but you can do whatever. Um, And then, yeah, the house I got to go in and it was like a couple that was living there, a a younger couple, but they were like, Oh yeah, people stop by the house every now and then and ask like, you know, if this Mm -hmm. is the house where it was filmed and, uh, they let me go upstairs like they took, you know, kind of gave me like a little tour of the the entryway and the uh, that kind of stuff. And cool. it was cool. Like and it's watching the movie like it makes it that much better to be like, oh, yeah, that's like and my friend Steve, like he lives really close to that house uh, still. So every time we go see him, I drive by the house and cool. think about Carnival of Souls. So, but that's, yeah, so there's there's really a lot cool. of uh, personal history with the film. But I also I also think that this is just a like, great, great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh but yeah, so that's my oh, and then I guess the other thing I had in my notes is when I was a little kid and I saw Scream, I got really into scary movies and I asked my dad, what's the scariest movie he's ever seen? And he said, excuse me, he said um, that it wasn't necessarily the scariest movie he'd ever seen, but that the scariest thing he's ever seen in a movie. And, and remember, this is like, you know, the 90s or something. I mean, not that he's like a horror. Anyways, he said the scariest thing he's ever seen in a movie was something he saw on TV when he was younger. And it was this lady was driving down the highway at night and she looks out her window and she sees uh, the reflection of like this kind of like zombies face or I can't remember exactly how he described it. And I can't remember if he remembered the title then or if he remembered it later, but it kind of always put it on my radar as like, I got to see whatever that movie was that scared (laughs) my dad. And uh, so, yeah. So yeah, there's just a lot with this movie um, that, uh, yeah, has worked into my life and all that kind of. There's just there's not a lot of movies that were filmed in Kansas. I think there's like, you know, In Cold Blood. Um, I don't know. There's a handful, but this is the best. So, anyhow, you, you know, um, it's interesting because we've watched a few like really old horror movies. Like we watched uh, The Uninvited, which was 1945, I think. Yeah. Um. What was it? And I'm thinking about what 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 year was Psycho? 1960. Mm-hmm. 60, yeah. So it, but it's what's interesting to me about this movie in particular is like I I feel like, or you know, I'm thinking of stuff like the old Dark House too, where it's like mm-hmm. it feels like this is a genre figuring itself out, but this movie was like, oh, that's a horror movie, and it's interesting. Like it's 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 and it and honestly, like there are so many of the you know scares that I've seen, like ripped off a hundred thousand times. I'm and I'm assuming they come from this movie because this movie is so like, you, you know, um, so close to kind of the beginning of American like 
horror, especially in mm-hmm. Hollywood. Um, so I don't know. I I just there were so many scares that I was like really surprised by because it was like, oh, I've seen that a million times, but I can't imagine it existing before this point. Um, right. Well, and in such a low budget movie, like yeah, thirty three thousand regionally made. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and it's it's kind of like if you look at the Wikipedia page. <laughs> It has like a list of directors who have cited this as a movie that either that they really like or that they were inspired by. And you can see it like, you know, like Night of the Living Dead, like I feel like is all over uh, or yeah, Carnival of Souls is all over Night of the Living Dead. Uh, Eraserhead is another one where it's like there's a lot in that. I can see that would carry through. And apparently Lynch has specifically cited Carnival of Souls as a movie he either really liked or was inspired by or something. Um, but uh but yeah, and it's it's not even a wholly original idea, which I guess we'll just get it into spoilers right away because that's what we do. Um, so if you haven't seen the movie, go see it and then come back. Uh, but there was a Twilight Zone episode like a year or two before this. Um, what was it called? Um, but it's about like, there, oh, I think it was called The Hitchhiker is the episode title. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's basically like this. It's a very similar idea where a woman has, you know, died and then doesn't know it and then there's a hitchhiker throughout the the film that's pointing her she he like he's like you know got his thumb out like trying to get a ride and she gets scared by it because she keeps seeing the same man and all that kind of thing and i can't remember exactly how it ends but i think it's kind of like eventually she realizes what's going on and that she's passed on and that kind of stuff and um there's another twilight zone episode which is a uh uh and i actually don't know if this one aired before or after the film but the the story it's based on like a story about a guy who he's like on would it be the, the gallows or whatever like and and it's like he's he's getting ready to be hung and then he the floor drops out and it's like i think in the i can't remember exactly how it all happens in the story but like um he escapes like it's like the rope breaks or something and he runs off and he escapes and the whole story is him like getting away from the people and then at the end it cuts and it's just like he just drops and he's dead and so it's like that was all like what happened in his head in the time in between wait Um, what movie's that Mm -hmm. that's that's, well so it's a story that they made a twilight zone episode uh around and it's a very weird twilight zone episode because it feels like a short actually maybe it was a short film somebody made that they aired as an episode uh but it's called an occurrence at owl creek ridge yeah and um that sounds cool it's great it's oh it's like one of the best twilight zone episodes uh although there's yeah it'd be hard to rank them but yeah it's a great great one i'll check um, that one down yeah so sorry for also spoiling that <laughs> I suppose. but um but no it's and it's just it's really well made really uh good so there there's the story of carnival of souls is not like so original that it's like this is where all of these things came from afterward and then there's there's obviously you know uh, I don't want to spoil it, but there's a very popular 1999 film that has a I similar was kind just, of idea. I was just <laughs> thinking that because it's just like yeah. it's so funny to me because, you know, you remember the craze around that movie. Like, don't spoil the ending. Like, you guys right. will never guess it. And I'm watching this movie and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I just watched. Um, I watched all three Oceans movies in the last three days. And I'm sorry, that just reminds me of the scene in the Ocean's 12 scene where everyone keeps saying to Bruce Willis that they figured it out that they knew the whole time (laughs) (laughs) and he's like everybody's a fucking genius (laughs) I don't know that's that's an Ocean's 12 yeah 
I don't know if I've ever actually seen Ocean's Twelve. Ocean's I don't, Twelve I don't remember that. is by far the worst. Okay. Not counting like Ocean's Eight or the original Ocean's. I mean, of this series. Um, okay. But it has great stuff in it still i think it's still fun for sure i i think i think it is so easily watchable but it's yeah. definitely like it's so obviously a script that was another movie that they just turned into an oceans movie oh, uh really? but it's very stylish it looks like a you know like a and vincent castle is totally is incredible <laughs> Yeah. I've had that castle. song that he dances to in my head for like 48 hours now. French guy. Oh, okay. It's yeah. not an actor. C-A-S-S-E-L. He's, he's so... Recognize him. Oh, he's so okay. No, I do know who you're talking yeah. about. He was in... Um, was he in Amelie? Or D- Delicatessen or something? Uh, yeah, he's in one of those. He does work one with... One of the jean he, he works with Shanae. Um Okay. But yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. Um, I actually did did guess the ending of the sixth sense before seeing it oh really oh, yeah i did i literally did i'm serious because i remember we watched it uh at my grandmother's house and i said i think i know the ending and i think partially it was i hadn't seen it in theaters i had missed all the craze but no one had spoiled it for me but i feel like it was like a full six months of people saying you'll never guess the ending so, oh yeah so you kind of like know yeah it's gonna be so something. tricky yeah so even at yeah. you know 11 years old i was able to be like okay well is it this <laughs> i yeah. made my parents well, tell me <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i was like mom i'm never gonna watch this movie just tell me i was just so scared. they were very reluctant to uh they didn't want to spoil the... it for me and if yeah. in my memory this might not be what happened in my memory we were at a restaurant in my memory and like they like one of them like took me aside <laughs> well i like, don't want for other people sitting exactly, around they don't, they don't yeah. want to spoil it that's my memory you guys, you guys left the restaurant you got in the car you rolled yeah. the windows <laughs> all the way up you turned it on your mom put her hand on the horn and blared metallica and then whispered in your ear i did know she was dead in this one yeah and i think yeah it's it's impossible because I've, I've seen this movie so many times like this is probably up there with my most rewatched movies and like um i don't know if it would have surprised me but i I feel like they're not even that secretive about it because the movie the atmosphere of the movie is so spooky and gloomy and kind of that kind of a thing that's like you kind of i would think you kind of know but then if you aren't ever if you aren't aware of that ever happening in any plot ever i could see how you would kind of just roll along with the movie Mm -hmm. Because it's a low budget movie, so you might be just like, "Oh, well, that doesn't quite make sense." But yeah, like it's like we talked when we talked about Saul, the last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was just a pretty bad movie the whole time I was watching it, and then there's a twist at the end, and I was like, "Oh, well, that was smart." Like this movie's at least better than I thought, and so, but I, I wasn't like you know you were saying for Sixth Sense, you were really primed. Like it's like I know it's going to be something tricky, and mm-hmm. so like maybe if you're watching a you know very low budget Carnival of Souls movie or yeah, uh, 1962 movie back in the day you're like well this seems stupid and doesn't make sense but you know that's the way these movies I, are I mean, like, you know whatever that's what i really admire most about this movie because i'll say like it is the cinematography is pretty fucking incredible mm-hmm. and it's it is a good it's a good movie i i i didn't like it didn't blow my mind or anything, but what did, but the more that I think about it, 
the more I'm like, this might be <clears throat> like, it's definitely one of the best examples I could think of, of like a micro budget movie. Just, I really admire the planning, the like pre-production that allows you to make a good movie with no money. Like they did mm -hmm. about a good as a movie as I can imagine mm -hmm. with no money. And there are multiple locate like it's not, you know, clerks or something. It's like they're doing a lot. They like I mean I love the stories of all the stories of them like going around and how they like negotiated with people like got all this permission or how much they spent for certain locations, how he was inspired to make the movie because he knew about that, like abandoned carnival yeah. thing, all like there. all that stuff. But also even like what you just said, where I don't know if this went through their, through their heads, but if it's like, okay, well there's, we have no money. We can't hire like real actors really, or, you know, stuff like that where, but if she's been dead the whole time, then anything weird that ha that right. happens in our movie because of you know low budge, kind of enhances <laughs> the like oh well, this is supposed to be weird the whole time. It's very like David Lynchy, I think, and like mm -hmm. um, I just think it was so incredibly smart because like well that's what it it, it, it it honestly it made me think of Cloverfield where um. I remember really liking Cloverfield because they were sticking so close. Like I only saw it in theaters one time, but like I was really enjoying it because they were really, I felt sticking really close to the premise and like really exploiting the premise. And then they decide to like show the whole monster and it looks stupid and it kind of ruins the movie for me. And that's like my classic example of that where it's like, you got too big for your britches. Like you couldn't actually do this with the thing that you invented, but this movie does a really good job of like doing things that they can handle with what they have and making all of that really cool within this little like within these parameters that they've set for themselves or that have been set by the budget and like that's really really it's like tasteful <laughs> which is like that's the hardest thing to be i think especially when you're like some crazy guy who's like i'm gonna make a movie <laughs> you know like for him to like also have taste i think is like wow that's really remarkable yeah well and and you you probably it, it sounded like you were reading about it and so it's part of the reason that this low budget movie out of kansas is like as good as it is is because they worked Everybody that worked on it was professional. They were professional filmmakers, right. but they did industrial films. Um, and That's so like Herc Harvey. Yeah. And so it's like they had they made these little industrial films, which um, did you see any of the special features or did you read much about it, mm -mm. Uh, Andrew? Mm -mm. OK, so industrial films basically are old movies like um, you would kind of see them parodied a lot, like in the 90s mm -hmm. or like people would like rechop them up. And like I remember like Weird Al would kind of like dub over an old industrial film and it was like here's how a kid can brush his teeth or here's how yeah. we do workplace safety. Like that. Kind of, yeah. Okay. I remember um, like seeing them in school, like on projectors and stuff. They'd play them. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. And it's like, yeah, I don't know that we ever watched any like really old ones, but so this would have been stuff out of the fifties and sixties. Mm -hmm. And so they were all professional filmmakers. They knew what they were doing. They knew how to light, they knew how to, you know, film and how to, you know, stage a shot or whatever. But it's just, this was the first like feature film that, well, and I don't know, I can't speak for everybody, but you know, 
this was the first feature film that they worked on that was like for, you know, a drive-in audience or a um, and the last theatrical audience. Yeah, that's true. It was. It's it was really also surprising his to one me and only. that he didn't do more. Yeah, I think that's probably just the nature of like living in Kansas. That like yeah. you're not gonna nobody's you know unless you like fly out to L.A. and then they make a deal with you, which I don't even know if that was a thing that would have happened with an independent filmmaker in the six, early '60s. Because this um, is, I do think that this is a much this is like a higher tier of like B movie of like low budget B movie. Oh I my think. God. That's yeah. crazy. This guy only directed one. This is the only yeah. movie. And I mean, yeah. I think the cinematography is like, like I get like, yeah, industrial movies. So they knew what they were, they were doing, but like, yeah. it's extremely artsy also in some mm-hmm. places. Absolutely. And yeah, it I mean, does a, a really good job of being like, like, maybe I just wasn't in the right mood for this to really scare me, but like it thinking, it is a very like horrifying idea of death, I think. Yeah. Like sort yeah. of the psychological premise is like, is very strong. Um, mm-hmm. Just, it and it is really, the, the, the scenes where people won't, acknowledge her it is like yeah i that's just kind of like a primal fear in a way for people so yeah mm-hmm. it's good yeah i agree i it, it didn't scare me either but i was watching it and thinking i'm not scared but this is scary this is yeah. definitely a scary movie yeah. um yeah this is what my mind is blown by this this dude's career it's actually kind of inspiring as a video producer who thinks yeah who often thinks very lowly of the things he actually creates um it's just like here is a at least at least as far as imdb documentation here is a 33 year career uh just such a big a long catalog of just things and only one movie but just like mm-hmm. ooh although he does have one short called to touch a child and i don't know if that i don't know about that one <laughs> do you um, do you know how long the like production was for this um i think in the special feature they said it was like a two-week thing wow okay i feel yeah. like that's all like so many movies were shot so fast yeah it's it's so crazy to me and then post-production like you like there was a time where directors were making like four movies a year and it was like I know. no problem, which is wild. Yeah. It's I so think just, crazy. I mean, I think being a director was easier. I think you're right. Like you just, just, it was less, you, you literally just directed the movie instead of all the other shit you do. It's like yeah. nowadays, if you are a director who gets caught, who gets, you know, sucked into the, the, the superhero machine and like there are sequels, it's like, you make a movie and then you start and you work for four years to make the next one. And I know like, that used to freak me out when I would hear like Spielberg or somebody talk about like, you know, it's like at best a year of your life. Yeah. And often, you know, like, like Scors- there's Scorsese's worked on movies that were like in production for like 15 years, you know, like it's just that's a long I don't know if I could do that. 
I mean, it would just be like, it would be like going to college. Like you, you're like, I'm going to do this for two or three years. Yuck. Um, but I mean, you yeah, I, mean, I don't want to go back to college. But no, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying. It's like you think of it in terms of like, you know, that four years was me in high school. That four years was me in college. And so I guess if you're working mm-hmm. on Doctor Strange 8, you'd be like, okay, this is yeah. when I'm going back Sometimes to Sometimes I to look at like directors or even like really famous actors, IMDb, and I'm like, he's made like eight movies. And that's like in his life. Like that's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kubrick. Kubrick took a long yeah. time on all of his stuff. And um, then I'm like, but what, like, how does he make, how does he live? I just, I guess, yeah, actually, I wonder that too. Like, because even like, if you make a million dollars. you make a ton of money? I don't. I don't know. He had a very large estate I think in work, England, so I assume. I mean, here's my, you know, even if, if, if somebody's working on a movie for two years or whatever, or, or they say like, oh, this is, if something's been in development for a decade or whatever, you're not just. Typically, no, I know I, you're like you're doing other, but things. not Kubrick. That's true, not Kubrick. Yeah, he wasn't like touching up scripts for anybody. Oh, maybe I don't. Maybe he was. I don't know. I don't think he was. But, but Warner Brothers was uniquely. Uh, they really invested in Kubrick. Like, yeah. not you know, basically, I don't know. Maybe two or three directors in the history of film have had that kind of a relationship with the studio, where it's like Clint Eastwood. We we will support. Yeah, Eastwood. I mean uh nolan kind of did i don't know if he's blown that with warner brothers but um i don't did he move i feel like they no he, he went to universal you're right yeah he went, he went yeah. to universal that's right i mean i think i think yeah i think warner brothers blew that with their streaming yeah. shit their shenanigans okay yeah. was that it yeah 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 i guess yeah i phrase that um <laughs> but yeah it's it's interesting i was reading something about you know all the the Warner Brothers drama of their new CEO, their merger, all that shit, and it's mm-hmm. like it sa- it sounds like somebody just like showed up to work. You know, the new guy shows up to like look through the books, and it's just like, why the fuck are we still paying Clint Eastwood? That <laughs> was so fucking funny, and apparently it was like they gave him Cry Macho, which I infamously took two weeks to watch because it was so yeah. horrible that I had to watch it four minutes at a time. Um, and, a, and like the rumor is, you know, no one will directly um, admit to it, but it sounds like it was just like a like a respect thing, like a, a legacy thing. Like this has yeah. been Clint Eastwood's home for 50 years. We can't not make his movie that costs millions of dollars to make. It's just like that's asinine. That's so fucking <laughs> stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he, I don't know when, and that's, I guess that's a bit off topic, but Eastwood, like, at least some of his movies do make quite a bit of money. Like, American that's Sniper true. made a lot. That is so I can true. Kind of see you are right. Like, well, here's four million for, I don't know. Did Cry Macho cost a lot? Was that an uh, movie? I mean, I don't know, but like, and you are right. I mean, I have, I have routinely been um, surprised by, I know we're way off topic. But uh, I've been routinely surprised by like how good a Clint Eastwood movie can be in, yeah. F- like, like know. the Mule, I thought was really good. I thought the Mule was okay. Um, it was definitely it were it was worth watching. Um, I thought Richard Jewell was like, yeah, that was a good one, really awesome. Um, surprisingly, but uh, yeah, Cry Macho cost thirty three million and made sixteen million. Wow, 33 million, million? is huge, that's, dude. That's, that's crazy. 
Wow. Can you imagine? Can you imagine just like, you know, you're you're a movie executive and like turnover rate is already pretty frightening. <laughs> And you're cutting a check to a 95-year-old dude for $33 million. <laughs> and you're handing it over and you're like, hey, you're sure about this? You sure about this movie, Clint? I feel and like he goes back and shaky forth. Shaky Crypt Keeper like... hand has grabbed the check. <laughs> you know, anyway. There's sorry. some Clint Eastwood movies that I'm like, okay, yeah, 33 mil. Like for Richard Jewell, I'd be like, I guess that's probably would have a bigger budget. Yeah, it's got but a ton of movie stars Macho, in it. The ones that he's in, I'm like, well, that should be like $4 million. Right, to that would have that. to be a small one. Like, oh, I agree. Bankroll that. I agree, and that's the thing is, it's just like because although what? Well, sorry, no, finish that thought. I apologize. Go I'm ahead. just thinking like <laughs> this is kind of this is stupid, but I'm just thinking like if he's the director, you know, I don't know. Somebody could, if he died, somebody could tie strings to his heart, you know, his arms, and he could, you know, pu- puppet their way through directing a Clint Eastwood movie. Even the good ones, it's like. There's something sleepy about this. Yeah. <laughs> I always used to say I didn't like him as a director as much because you could kind of, he always has that scowl and you can, you could feel it through the direction. Like yeah. there's just kind of this angry I scowl. <laughs> I think you're right. Um, like yeah, I watched, but, so, I watched solely a few years ago and I was partially cause I wanted to see how bad it was. And then I ended up really liking it cause it was like really goes in depth, uh, into that whole thing and in a way mm-hmm. that's like really fascinating but it's also like this should have been a documentary because it's just oh, so yeah. dry well and the 1517 to paris yeah. was like that was one of the more interesting experimental films that any studio has ever put out truly mm-hmm. now was it a great movie that i'm gonna ever watch again no but it was like sarah and i went to go see it and it's like you know so the, in that one they use the real guys who um you know stopped the the terrorists on the train or whatever so they're not actors but it's like it just i don't know it just becomes very interesting because of that and it's like well that's something that you would expect out of like like a a new young director with a fresh idea on how to make movies and it's like but yeah like clint eastwood made a more interesting and probably more successful experimental film than i don't know 90 percent of the people who've tried similar things yeah. in the last 10 years yeah. uh so it's very odd but i could i could kind of see bankrolling I, I was gonna say though so we're we're saying like 33 million dollars to clint eastwood for cry macho this is also the studio that like spent lord knows how many like 100 million on uh was it batgirl or bat something yeah, like yeah. and, and they're, they're not even gonna release it, so it's like, uh, it i was reading yeah. yesterday that they are they're gonna write down like two billion dollars in content so does that mean that they'll never ever release it again? Yeah. Is that how that works? Uh, it, they, so they can't they, because right, they, because they're it, writing it off. Yeah, right. It, so once it's attached, so you can't put it on DVD. You, you can't. You can never just, do anything with it. No one crazy. can ever see it. It is nuts. I agree. <laughs> I agree. So crazy. I feel so. I, I love it. It's a oh, great like uh, prank on the guy on the people who made it. So yeah. <laughs> well, I feel bad. I feel bad for the the the. I don't feel bad for like Michael Keaton could give a fuck, and I think that's pretty cool. But I feel bad that's for probably like, for the best for Michael Keaton. Yeah, I'm sure. I feel, but I do feel bad for you know the people who weren't big movie stars. Uh, I feel bad. I feel a little bad for the directors. They seem like really nice guys. Uh, I think it would suck to because we were just talking about you know the way you you know directors now have to like invest their entire lives to making a movie. Whereas right. you could shoot a movie in two weeks in 1962. So the idea of just showing up to work, I mean, they describe it and it's like they showed up to work and as they're working on their movie, 
shit's being deleted and they pull out their self because like oh my god it's disappearing from the server or that they're working on and they tried to pull they pulled out their cell phones and started trying to just shoot the screen just so they'd have something that's crazy like to have that was for the bat batgirl that's maybe? batgirl so it's just like imagine having your your life literally disappear right in front of you and you're that's desperately that's trying to grab it i do it. feel bad for them but i also just like it is funny it is the yeah it is just like we're gonna just can't cancel a 90 million dollar movie yeah. that's well, that's, nuts. it's nuts but then also like i take some satisfaction in like i've always been like fuck streaming <laughs> Fuck this new business mm-hmm. model. Fuck letting you know business majors take over the studios and all this type of oh, thing. Oh yeah, for sure. So it's a little bit like I told you so, but at the same mm-hmm. time, I told you so so that terrible things like this wouldn't happen. So this is still a bad thing. <laughs> it's just it's like well, yeah. Well, the don't problem is is like do movies they're, like that. They're doing it to a thing. I mean, of course, I, you know who knows, but you know the narrative that they were very strongly putting out was like this movie fucking sucks and we have to yeah we have to save well, but, our brand. But it's just like the you know it's 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 all it's all fucking dollars and cents like they yeah. you know they have you read the quotes of that guy where he, well people talk about him and they're like the CEO David <laughs> yeah Zaslav that he, or whatever that he does not like movies <laughs> that's so uh, that's they're like, I know he dude. doesn't like movies he doesn't like he hates scripted television yes it's terrifying. <laughs> He's the guy yeah. who turned TLC into what it is. He's the guy who destroyed the Discovery Channel. I mean, of course, made them huge successes for, you know. And it's crazy because, like, I didn't even know anything was wrong at HBO because it's just, like, because they are probably the most consistent. Yeah. Like. Warner Brothers is, like, on its, like, it's, I didn't know shit was as bad at Warner Brothers as it's been. Apparently, like, Warner Brothers is, like, teetering into oblivion. Like, they're. Yeah. They're they they're so they were so close to having to like shut their doors. Apparently, they had like uh when Discovery came in. One, you know, I'm just recalling bits and pieces from things I've read, so I could maybe some of my information is 100 percent correct. But as I recall, it's like they had like two months of runway. Basically, it's like they're just blowing. They're just setting money on fire left and right, desperately trying to like pull a rabbit out of the hat and like save the company and it's just like oh god we made another mistake yeah <laughs> yeah so which is it's a bummer i think it's a bummer i well, think and um, warner brothers it... has to be the studio with the best legacy like i mean yeah, even if it's like they... well some of my favorite movies are with paramount or whatever and i'm not talking like in the last 10 years i'm talking about like if you go yes. all the way back like yes. one of the original you know big studios they're still there and... for one yeah, the well, yeah, they're still there, but then just the amount of classic movie, like like part of what's good about HBO Max, actually, I mean, for a person like me, most of what's good is like the just catalog. all the old Warner yeah. Brothers stuff that they put, like stuff from the 30s or the 40s or the 50s or the 60s reliable, or the yeah. 70s or the 80s that they just don't put out anywhere, and like it's, you know, uh, it's like well, that's where I can go to watch that. So yeah, thinking that now somebody's in charge of that ship who, like like, aggressively hates good things it's a yeah reading about that dude it's just like why why do we do yeah. these things this is yeah I, and i hadn't heard any of that stuff but that's depressing yeah it is so oh well anyhow oh, oh okay that's my phone so yeah i don't um, know like it's it's like i i literally think that that man just ended 
Clint Eastwood's career, which is, you know, he's a million years old, so I get it. But it's just, like, it's crazy that, like, these people were essentially floating Clint Eastwood for, you know, the last, let's say, decade. And he, you know, it's not like he wasn't, there wasn't, there wasn't getting a return on the investment. But then just, like, some mean movie hating Scrooge shows up and says it basically is just like we're putting this guy out to pasture it's done yeah I think the best way for Clint to cap off his career would be to go and just uh you know well I guess I don't know if you can say I'm pretty sure I'm with it in my first amendment rights to say he should just go shoot the guy or something like that that would be very like very uh Clint Eastwood way to, to go to go off i'd be um, i mean i'd be fine with but, that uh, and it's like what you know maybe, <laughs> maybe the recoil of the gun gives you know causes clint eastwood's 99 year old heart to explode but it's like you <laughs> yeah. did you did a service yeah i mean you know and it would be it would be very dirty hairy it would be very mm-hmm. uh uh you know good bad and the ugly kind of thing so uh i guess man with no name um but uh, we should also say that killing people is wrong. And that I, wrong. if Clint Eastwood's out it's there listening, wrong. we hope that you don't go kill this guy. Um, wink, wink. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, well, back to Carnival of Souls, mm-hmm. the, uh, the reason for the season here. Um, I've got some notes, but I feel like I could go through it all fairly quickly. Yeah, go for um, it. I, I didn't take any okay. notes, but I mean, there's definitely more. I have a couple things that I want to say. Okay. So first note I had was that uh the car crash is very very B movie. It's bad uh, the way it's cut and all the sound. Yeah. But I was like that it's edit. all slightly off. I just don't know it's just don't edit it like I that. agree. Yeah. There's yeah. there had to was, happen off screen. Or there something. had to be yeah, exactly. There had to be a different Although it's I'm, crazy I'm, that they did let them crash a car off a bridge. That is <laughs> like, true. I was yeah. crazy. I, I, what, <laughs> like real quick, one of the things that really blew me away about this movie, like right from the start is like oh shit these are cars that are actually driving it makes such a fucking difference not to be in front of the rear projected screen such a difference i'm like this looks really cool and then the car crash happens and i'm like that didn't look so cool um but yeah (laughs) so go ahead we watched whatever happened to baby jane last night Mm -hmm. and uh the car crash at at the beginning of that film like where it crashes um, Mm -hmm. into the gate uh, is actually very similarly cut. I was, I like, I think having just watched Carnival of Souls, I was like, this is weird. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's better done. Uh, uh, Robert Aldrich, Aldrich did a little bit better job with, but he had more money to work with. So. Yeah. Sure. Um, but, uh, but I was gonna say, so with all that stuff, it's all slightly off. But like we were, uh, Kit, I think said before, it all kind of works with what this film is, where it's, uh, it, it should be slightly off. Like you know, it, it kind of almost enhances, makes it more spooky, and works with the story. Yeah. Um, and so that's always good when you have an extraordinarily low budget is to find ways to make that work for your film. Um, I also think, I think the shot of her coming out of the water, uh, like onto that little kind of triangular little bank, mm-hmm. um, and she's all covered in mud and stuff. It's like just way, uh, well, I can't think of the expression, but like just way above its pay grade or punching above its mm-hmm. weight or something like that, where it's mm-hmm. just like, that's that's a really, you know, and they might have just gotten lucky and like, oh, we can put the camera here on the bridge and it just, hap- the angle happens to work. But just everything about that is very spooky. Yeah. And then also just extremely well composed. And so it, it was either a happy accident or just real skill there to, were, to get that. There were several The titles shots, but... were amazing. Yeah, the titles were cool. Titles were Because cool. it was some of that same kind of, because it's all around the river and stuff. I was just yeah. like, these shots are like, how'd they get that? It's really, the angles are strange. Yeah. Um. And then the, the actual titles look really, really cool, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, there were, there were, I mean, I thought the movie overall mostly looked pretty good, um, but there was definitely, like, a handful of shots that I was like, holy shit, <laughs> that's beautiful. Yeah, um, yeah, no, that, that's what I'm really, uh, some talent behind the camera, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, I already talked about the Reuter Organ Company, um, some of the locations. So, yeah, it just, like, that's another thing, like, when you're making an old horror movie or what yeah when you're making a horror movie uh just having like cool locations is really all you need uh you know a good script really helps but having like or yeah a pretty girl and then a good some good locations Mm -hmm. and stuff can really make a movie um and then yeah so my next note was uh candace hillegloss i think is really good in this um and i don't think she ever did much else either Mm -hmm. um but she wrote a sequel to this movie yeah, and then she was upset like when they made the remake, um, which I've never seen remake? the remake. So yeah, nineteen ninety eight. Uh, it's actually got uh, Shawnee Smith is in it, so I'm kind of curious about it. But I don't. I'm not. It's it's not very well reviewed or received. Uh, I think it was like a straight to video thing, but yeah, um, it doesn't. It's on Netflix. <laughs> is it really weird? It says distributed by Netflix weird that is weird um but yeah so i just thought shout out to her she did a really good job um then we've talked a lot about the other stuff uh i think the the guy sydney berger that plays the drunk uh kind of lecherous neighbor he was good uh he's very good yeah he um i didn't like those scenes it made me uncomfortable for sure but i thought he was that's the thing yeah he, he plays a very good like I want to get out of this conversation, and then I'm sure for women it's also that they added, you know, it's saying so, creepy it's, guys like that. But it is sort of interesting looking at this. I mean, even I think before you know the last few years, you'd probably you'd watch this and be like, "This is this is nuts." Like, right? You, there's no way you could get away from away from this. But it's just like so he's so rapey, and it's so yeah. crazy how. Just like just after you know the the way things have been to like to think that like you you could ever present this in a movie and have it be like a normal interaction is nuts. To I me. don't think it's supposed to be normal though. I mean, it's definitely. He's I know. Supposed I'm just saying, like, the, like, like the, the what I'm saying is like the level it's at and what they're presenting it as are two completely different things to me. If it was like oh, if the yeah, guys in like promising young woman were doing this. Yeah, exactly. It would be like, <laughs> what is this? No, I just, I don't, I don't even mean I don't like it because it's like rapey. It's just like, first, I feel like it's like there was some kind of stipulation in movies from this time period that like there has to be scenes like a scene like this. I don't know. I just feel like I've seen it so often of just like overly aggressive, like, guy hitting on a woman in a movie from like the 50s or the 60s i'm just like it's just the same in every movie i don't know what it is i just they just bother me Hmm. like it's such a it's very they all seem just very cliche i i i also wonder like who is he in the world of what's actually going on yeah i was wondering i was wondering about that i was like thinking about i'm trying to figure out like okay she, she works in a church and then, but he's like kind of the opposite of that. 
And it's like, is this is this some sort of like? Because I knew she's dead, so I'm like wondering. Like, there's if... other like, yeah, the other things, even like a boarding house, is kind of like there's something metaphorically tied to her situation in yeah. being there. The church and the organ. There's something that kind of clicks in. Um, even her like seeking a doctor. Um, or you know, trying on clothes. There's all these things that are like I can sort of like connect those to what she's going through but just like the guy who will not leave her the fuck alone <laughs> like um i liked her i liked her character though it felt unusual to me to see um like a woman especially maybe in like a horror movie from like this time but like a a woman in a, who's like she's so um prickly she's like not nice um really i mean maybe it's sort of psycho inspired i don't know but she's she's just like she she's she's when she's like the way that she describes herself is like very Mm -hmm. um logical or i don't know it was it was interesting it was a it was an interesting character especially contrasted with like when she's in scenes with that guy and she's being very like you know not tolerating his bullshit Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then contrasting that with her obviously being like extremely vulnerable and like running around like screaming and having like a it it like made it i don't it made it a little more scarier than if she was like running around screaming the entire time or was you know like it it was an interesting choice i think to make her she's not very sweet Mm -hmm. like she's pretty like formal and unconcerned with uh, with being nice <laughs> it seems like like the way she's talking even in the or she's very confident and like self-possessed i don't know it was, it was interesting character yeah and i think it kind of trying to figure out her character kind of plays into trying to figure out like is this all in her head as she's dying there in the river or <laughs> Is she real in some way? And like, because like the thing that I think makes it more ambiguous is that at the very end, when the the kind of the characters that she's met when she goes to Salt Air, uh, goes to Utah, mm-hmm. um, they like they they follow the track in the sand where like all the ghouls kind of chase after her, mm-hmm. and then she falls, and then they swarm her, and then the, she's gone, and then we see her. I think I think it's not until the end we see her getting pulled out of the river in the car. But like we do see that the police and I even think that the Sidney Berger guy, I think that he, maybe he's there. The, but the, the police, the priest, they're there and they're following the footsteps where she ran out into that kind of sandy or mm-hmm. something area. Um, and so it's like, was she really there? Like, was she like an apparition for them, like wandering yeah. there? Or was she there in the flesh? And then because like she does interact with things, she does touch things. And it's also like I don't expect that the movie has this all mm-hmm. actually figured out or yeah. that this was all thought of. But it does. It I think to the extent that it doesn't quite add up, it still works somehow. It, yeah. it all works to kind of like, yeah. But then it's like with her character, you wonder, was she always kind of like standoffish? Was she always, right. yeah. um, you know, maybe not so into male company and that kind of thing or was that because she was dead and that she just suddenly felt like, you know, like those would all be lively mm-hmm. emotions. And so she doesn't feel that anymore. Or was she always that way? Um, but yeah, I agree. It is, it's a unique character 
uh, both I think for its time and even for movies now, it's yeah. just she's she's not unlikable, but she's just a very kind of like loner mm-hmm. type of person, and it's uh it's unusual. But yeah, um, yeah, you've touched on I think something that's interesting to me about the movie, and uh, I think somebody Kit I think mentioned earlier that the or maybe Mike did that the the location of the carnival is what you know he knew he had this location so that's kind mm-hmm. of built the movie around that and i will say that like i don't i don't maybe one of you can explain it i don't understand the point of the carnival and i'm wondering is it is it is there is there one is it just uh i think it's like they're trying to gather her in a way that mm-hmm. it's like okay you belong with us now but no, but what is the? I'm saying the actual location of the carnival. Like what? Like it? 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 It does feel out of place to me. It does. It like the. That's the thing that's most confusing to me. Like there's there was there's... more of it. I think like they shot a lot more of it, and okay. something they happened. Lost, yeah, yeah, they lost a reel apparently. Oh, that's so sad. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I think I think there's like the mythology. I mean, I did find myself like trying to figure out the mythology. Um, which I think is a, is a good sign. Like, just like I, like I'm, I'm invested enough to where I'm trying to like make sense of something that maybe is not meant to make sense. And then I didn't come away feeling like I'd been, you know, duped or anything. Um, Mm -hmm. but I did, I, I was like genuinely confused. Like, why is she drawn to this place? Why does this place, why did, in, and also kind of speaking to what Kit was saying earlier about sort of like this sort of connectivity, um, you know, between a lot of the other locations and then there's the carnival and it's like, I don't like, I understand the church and the boarding house and so many I other things. I think because the carnival is the afterlife in some way. I don't know Okay. why, but it's like, yeah, it's far away. It's abandoned. It's like, you know, out on a, I, I think of it as being on an Island, even though I don't know if that's true. Um, I think, yeah, and that's what they're – I also am, like – like, it's – I mean, you're not wrong. Like, Carnival of Souls, it's such a short sequence, like, in the movie that mm-hmm. she – like, it's really late in the movie. I kind of thought – because, like, Mike's talked to me about this movie before, and I didn't know what it was about at all, except that it's called Carnival of Souls, and I knew there was, like, the guy with the white face. And – I thought, like, the the whole time I was watching the movie, I was like, when's she going to go to this carnival? Because I thought that was, like, most of the movie <laughs> would be, like, all of these, like, spooky guys, like, dancing around. And, like, like I thought it was going to be, like, oh, she goes to an old creepy carnival. And, like, that's the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, it's, like, two minutes. And it's at the very end of the film. And, like, that was that was very surprising to me. Yeah. I actually I had not thought about it before. But you were kind of saying, like, like what is the through line? And again, maybe off base, maybe that never occurred to the filmmakers, but like, so that, that place was like an old, like, like a bathhouse, but not in the way that we think of bathhouses now necessarily, but like, like a Springs kind of place, Mm -hmm. but it was on the salt Lake and eventually the salt Lake receded and just left it kind of stranded in this, I don't know, whatever that is, salty marsh or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, The salt salt marsh. Yeah. Salmarsh, okay, yeah, uh, and uh, so places like that when they're when they're gone and stuff are kind of spooky, but like, uh, 
Oh, no, no, sorry. So the th- the through line, I think, would be like, she's an organist. So she works at the church and she plays the yeah. organ <laughs> and all of the score of the film, which that's another thing. I fucking love really this. Cool. I, yeah, my, my friend gave me the soundtrack to this a while ago and uh, I listened to it a lot. But um, but yeah, but then you also would have an organ at like a carnival or like, you know, like yeah. a fair kind of thing back in the day. Um, and so maybe there's a little bit of a through line there like that. Uh, that sort of unites the place. But but otherwise, it's yeah. I don't think it's supposed to be hell. I don't think that there's Christian iconography in the film or that there's any, you know, like that kind of an afterlife is onto it. And so you're almost more in like a situation with like, like Beetlejuice where there's apparently this yeah. entire bureaucracy and the afterlife that we just, we're not privy to because we're alive. Um, and so, yeah, it's like, I think it's like, it's obviously spooky and that kind of thing, but it's like, are those people tortured or are they, having fun dancing and it's like does it seem scary to her because she's afraid to let go of life that's what i think i think yeah i think they are actually not they're not like bad scary people it's just scary because they're dead and to go with them is to acknowledge that you're dead yeah well, and they're, and they're obviously, they're a little ghoulish looking. Yeah. So, but again, yeah, like they're not, they, they chase after her, but they're not like when we see them swarm her at the end, it's not like we, it's not like Night of the Living Dead where we see her get torn open and eaten or something like that. So, um, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. It's like, I don't think that it does add up, but I think that being a, a movie where you probably go in with lower expectations because of budget and age and things that when it doesn't add up, I'm not as disappointed as I might be if like a movie came out this year and I went to go see it and then I was talking about it online. Like, well, there's a plot hole or this doesn't make sense. You know, something like that. Anyhow. I don't well, know. I can see why like David Lynch likes it yeah. so much because Very it does, dreamy. you know, there's something to be said for capturing. Why should the idea of like, capturing what it's like to die conform to any kind of like lived reality yeah necessarily and this it does get at like i said it's not scary it wasn't scary at the time that i watched it but it did capture like a kind of horrific feel it idea of like what if this is, <laughs> this is what it's like to die like you don't know what's happened and you don't you know in a way like i i just personally i thought of the you know the guys the spooky ghouls as like i mean he that dude is being scary but i thought of him as kind of a gentle <laughs> like kindly like he's trying i don't know that's how I saw it. I was just like, he's just trying to get her to like, hey, this then is don't happened. do creepy smiles, dude. Like, don't look, <laughs> like he's he's a dead guy. He doesn't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't see him as like a sinister figure, Um, even though I liked I liked all the stuff of like him popping out of nowhere. Um, <laughs> But um, yeah, there were I definitely. Didn't... Speaking of popping out, like there are definitely moments where it's like. You know, because they don't have the benefit of 50 years of, like, you know, whole, sort of that type of tension building and release. There's just moments that, like, are interesting and cool looking. But, like, in terms of, like, their ability to 
you know, uh, recall any sort of feeling of fear. It's just not there. And I was thinking about when she goes, like, I thought it was really cool how when she first goes to the doctor's office and they have that shot of the back of the chair, and then I was expecting the chair to turn around and for it to be the guy. And it's the doctors, and I thought, okay, that's cool that they, you know, uh, undercut my expectation. And then later in the movie, I knew it was going to be the they were gonna they did it again, and I knew this time it was going to be the ghost for sure. But the way they do it is so bizarre because there's no there's no sound accompaniment, and there's nothing. It's just it's like a it's like a like a wide uh, medium wide shot. And he turns around and then the way and then they just have her look towards the camera like a full beat later. Like there's like nothing happens. He just turns and looks and then it just holds. And then she turns and looks at the camera and screams into the lens. And it's such a it's like (laughs) it's so it's like almost there. Like there's there's something. It's like almost like it could be scary, but just like the it's like it's like everything misses by half a beat, and so it's just funny looking. Um, there were a few instances like that, and you know, the more we've been talking about this movie, the more I'm like, but does that actually work in its favor in a way? Like, I was thinking about the bar scene where it's like Mm -hmm. they're both having this conversation, and I can see people in the background. But this, this, there's no like ambient sound added. You know, there's no bar noises. It's just two people yelling in a silent room, and there's people like very quietly moving around in the background. And it's like, it's just such a weird. It's very uns. It's now that I'm thinking about it, it's like, it's it's unsettling. And I'm wondering if mm-hmm. there's something to that. Um, I don't necessarily know that I believe that that was intentional. Um, but just thinking about like her performance in that scene too, where she's, she's like her, she's very, you know, quiet and standoffish and then, but also does not want to be separated from this dude. And mm-hmm. it's like, I wonder if that kind of works with this sort of like dead environment. Um, but at the same, but while I was watching it, I'm like, where the, why don't they fucking add just some, go to a bar, just turn a microphone on for five minutes and then just add that sound to the mix. Um, so there was stuff like that where it was like, mm-hmm. there's something dead here. Like there's some, there's like there, there's no sound effects or, you know, mostly that's what it was. It was just like they, and that's I think common for the time too, where it's just like mm-hmm. score completely takes over. Um, but I, yeah, like I think when she's like running through the, um, the pilings at the end and it's mm-hmm. like it's like there's just there's something missing from this to make it really scary to me um the idea is there but it's just like it's just score and then the way it's shot is there's something about it that's like it here's what it feels like it feels like somebody from behind the camera stepped in front and said look everybody that's scary and then did it again and again and again and again um and i don't know maybe maybe and i you know i also think that as i was saying earlier in the episode that like this feels like in a way like one of the like the first true horror movie and like at least at least in terms of like the you know the movies i've seen like 
you know, things like The Uninvited and The Old Dark House and even, even Psycho to some degree, it's like they don't feel like they've totally um, figured out the genre. And this one feels like it has. But mm-hmm. it's like also maybe maybe like the sort of fine tuning hadn't been figured out yet or something like it's just like there's like well sorry no just just like that's that's it just like in terms of like dialing up tension and releasing it and like how to accompany that there was just Uh something that just is like slightly off for me in in a lot of the scenes but then also i'm also taking in consideration what we've been talking about which is that like yeah but it also is all kind of just this underlying like unsettling feeling but i think it's weird because i think of like um you know things like the shining and the shining does not the shining does not scare me in a like i'm you know hiding my eyes and plugging my ears and like just gritting my teeth and waiting for it to be over but it makes me uncomfortable it's unsettling Mm -hmm. and this movie is like it's kind of like that but then there's like jump scares but then the jump scares in this movie don't scare me in a way a jump scare would. So it's like it kind of it it's do you understand what I'm saying? Where it's just like this. It's this it's a it's such it's an oddity. And I'm trying to like wrap my head around the way it makes me feel versus what I see on screen. I think in a nutshell, I think and I, I, I agree. Uh, I think what you're saying is that this is in between the type of horror movie that probably came like particularly before psycho the type of horror movie we might have been more used to where it leaves you with like a lingering unsettled feeling so the the creeps as opposed to psycho and onward and you know that's fuzzy but you know yeah. basically psycho and onward and then the kind of horror that we get a lot more of now and that you and i like really like with like the conjuring movies where yes. they say it's like the fun house ride and so those are the jump scares yes those are the the things so i think it's, it's like, like this yeah. is very very perfectly like in between that's a really good styles. way to put it it, it feels and so it's maybe a little it feels like the innocence but it looks like the conjuring is i think right. a, a way to a way to put it yeah and just to rephrase it one more time it's a uh innocence in the the streets and a conjuring in the sheets <laughs> uh, um but no that's a, that's a actually really and it's like having seen it when i was much younger and then seen it so many times since and stuff like that. I think that's a good first timer perspective of like where this probably would sit history wise. Cause I always just view it as it's an outlier. I don't even really try to tie it in because it's, it's low budget regionally made, you know, like no studio, like, you know, gave them money for this and then wide distribution. I think it was just kind of ran the drive-in circuit and mm-hmm. it was on some double, I can't remember. It was on a double feature with the movie pretty consistently, but, but yeah, I've never really tried to place it kind of in the horror canon very precisely and i think like this is still an extremely fresh idea for a movie it's a terrifying thing like that you're dead but you still feel like you have some say in the matter and that you're just being pulled into it and then like yeah but you have to keep waking up kind of i think too just like this movie maybe benefits from people's expectations of like what this type of like the sort of like rules of how things should play out because people are like interacting with her and yeah and then and then she, and she's like you know driving a car and shit and then later 
she, you know, there are there are spots in the movie where she, no one is interacting with her, or dead people are interacting with her. So there's like, it, it's I think that this feels completely unique in that, you know, every other movie, like ghost movie, even remotely like this, has dis has like. I think rules that it has to adhere by uh, based on like audience expectations. And this is like completely divorced from that or, or mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like yeah. it doesn't, there's not like, I, I don't even now talking about it. Like I don't totally get it, but not in a bad way mm -hmm. just because it's just like, I don't, I don't know what the, like, what are the rules? What are the rules to dying and becoming a ghost? You know what I mean? Like, like, what are right. the what are the rules well, to I, dying and become a ghost? Like, you could touch things now. I don't understand that. I think that's part of where we see Lynch in this is because kind of like we've said, like, oh, it yeah, does totally. not add up, but it doesn't really matter. And then with Lynch, when he, when his, and I think sometimes people overplay this with Lynch. I think his movies do make more sense than sometimes people give them. Dude, credit I for. had an argument with somebody <laughs> about this last night. Really? Yes. You should have called me, man. I know. Phone a friend. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like that, not having everything calculated in Carnival of Souls, almost, I think because it's so well made, it almost makes it surreal instead of incompetent or like yeah. disappointing. So yeah, I think that that's maybe where we see, um, that maybe that's where like, I, why when I watch this, I'm thinking Eraserhead and I'm thinking, um, like that kind of thing. Well, so, I think he explicitly talks about this movie as like a point of inspiration too. He does, yes, yeah. yeah of just oh. be because of the dream logic of it, I think. Mm -hmm. Um. So, yeah. I got, I got, I got to sidestep real quick. So I, we were, ta I was talking to a couple of people last night about somebody was trying to tell me that basically like. Um, they were talking. They were talking about trash TV, and they were like, "I I love network TV for whatever reason." And we were kind of arguing about that. And then he was talking about Lost, and he was like, "Man, I miss um, you know, I miss like people getting together on like a Monday night to watch Lost or whatever." And then we were talking about how like that that show they like like none of the ideas that like they put forth in the first half of the show like actually materialized and in into anything. And I kind of said the thing that I think we've all said before, which is that, you know, you don't need to necessarily g explain everything to me, but I have to feel when I walk away from a story that somebody somewhere in the creative process did have an understanding. Even if that isn't true, I just need to yeah. feel it. And I got <laughs> in this long argument with these guys, a, a friendly <laughs> argument, but it was yeah. basically, it touched on Lynch, which is just like David Lynch was the example of like, Here's a thing that is uh, here's uh, you know an entire filmography that is of of unresolved ideas that works, and my argument is that well the resolution is that this is is that I under like the connective tissue between all the ideas is that it's David Lynch like right. like th that's all you need like that's enough so I wish you had been there to like I don't know to say anything. But like, yeah, the whole thing was just like, no, these are these are like these are all of his movies are like stories that aren't finished uh, or explained. And I'm like, but they are because it's him. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's and like his explanation is I like mystery. 
like I like to keep wondering about things. I, I like to, you know, which which means that there might be an answer somewhere off in the distance, but we just keep wondering. And like, did you ever watch season? Did you are you a Twin Peaks guy? Uh, no, I've tried. I've uh, no, okay. I, I always intend to go back, but I've I've watched the first two or three episodes and then I never went back. Okay, so like. Uh, yeah, and we we won't go into the whole thing, but basically, I watched it the first season in high school. I the second season didn't come out on DVD for a long time. It was a different time; you couldn't just like download it all. And then I didn't see season two until college, so I rewatched one and then two. And then like, I I would listen to him talk about Blue Velvet, or I would see more of his movies. And like, the thing I mean, this is explicitly stated by Kyle MacLachlan's character in Blue Velvet, I think, but basically just this. Lynch's philosophy on mystery and wondering and how, how, and, and how that plays into his stories and what he likes about stories. Um, and so it's like, then when I rewatched, well, this is spoilerish, but I, I won't spoil anything big, but Twin Peaks famously was like the TV channel, the, uh, studio or whatever, like that, the, they made them resolve the central mystery of the show halfway into season two. And so <laughs> all of this mystery that Lynch has like, you know, kicked up and, and, you know, he had, he had sort of moved off the show, um, to some degree already, but like they, they answered the question. And so then they brought him back to finish season two because the show had been canceled. And so like they, they brought him back and he does the last four episodes and it's like, um, especially now having seen season three, you watch season two and how he wraps it up and he's like, okay, well here we solved this mystery. But and he's he also had set this up in season one to some extent, but it's like I don't think he anybody knew where it was going. But you watch the last four episodes of season two, and it's like now here's some mysteries for you. Like here's some shit that like like you think you know this, but there's at least like you know thirty floors you know beneath the surface of the earth of what what we what we currently know. And so it's like some of it is suggested, some of it is um like laid out as like something that you're going to wonder about consciously. But then, but it's, and then you get to season three and, and season three was like this weird, like summer long emotional struggle for me because it was like, I wanted my old twin peaks and it wasn't just like, uh, a, uh, fan service denial of like, no, you're not, I'm not giving you this. I'm a serious artist. Here's something that, you know, totally different, but it's like season three is just, it's so, so different from seasons one and two but it's also it's like like you're saying it's purely david lynch and so it's like but by the time you get to the end of season three he's expanded on the mysteries that were set up in season one that he concluded season two with and then he's just taken it so so much deeper where there's now so many more like you know hundreds of things to wonder about and it's just like and i think his method his first of all like you know he is a creative genius Mm -hmm. but then his method is just creating things to wonder about and create it you know some of his movies resolve quite nicely, like the straight story or the elephant man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like when he's when he's doing the mystery stuff, when he's doing the the things to wonder about and the things to think about type of Lynch, it's just like it just goes so like bottomlessly deep and unanswerable and stuff. But yes, I think like what you're saying is the you don't walk out of the theater or you don't turn off your TV thinking like, well, I understand that perfectly. What an interesting episode of television. You're yeah. just kind of like it's like lynch knows on some yes, level i'd see i don't I, I don't believe that you can spend hours and hours and hours fucking with lights and actors and blocking and all these things and not know somewhere right. in your mind and i i think i was one of my arguments was uh something kubrick said which 
I struggle with and sometimes think is a little bit, you know, kind of bullshit. But he essentially was being interviewed and he was asked, I love this interview, but it's just like this nice, this, this little watched like J- Japanese um, interview oh, show. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And he's, it's a, a phone interview. And like the dude is, is very innocent and very sweet and like no way Kubrick would ever suffer anybody else to ask this question. But he basically said, so, the end of 2001, what does it mean? <laughs> Kubrick is like, well, I don't really like to answer those questions. And then he does it. And it's, yeah. it, he, he answers the question, and it's like, it's the thing we, you know, most people have probably said. But, like, so it, it doesn't bother me, because it's like, well, I knew that. Um, but it's just, like, it's so funny. And then he... He 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 goes into like why he doesn't like to talk about that stuff and he says, you know, I believe that like my directorial ability is an instinct. I don't think it's not mm-hmm. something I like to think about. And one of the reasons I don't like to answer these sorts of questions about my movies and like try to like blow past them is because I feel that it will make me think about this stuff more. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I struggle with that a little bit. Um, but I think if there were to be somebody that I would think that is true for, like, it could be true for Lynch. There, I was like, I was thinking of Kubrick in the conversation because like, obviously I'm like watching Eyes Wide Shut a lot right now and reading about it and thinking about it. And I like keep going to Reddit and cause I just, every time I see like, cause I'll Google like, oh, I'm trying to look at certain details of the movie and then like a reddit thread will come up and i'd be like hmm, i wonder what these guys are talking about and it's the mm-hmm. same thing every time which is like some stupid secret meaning of the film and like one i read the other day was like here's why it can't possibly be a dream and they're like laying out all the things like so that would mean that like he like talking about crazy people like me who think that essentially the whole film you know after they have their conversation is like mm-hmm. a dream on some level. Um, and, but like the things that they're pointing out for why it can't be that are like, well then this, that would mean that. And I'm just like, things can have, you can know things that aren't like based on like logical plotting. Do you know what I mean? Like, Mm-hmm. film is to some degree like a way of expressing the ineffable because it's based on the visual not the linguist like it's not language based mm-hmm. obviously there's a lot of language in most movies but it's like like a lot of art and visual art it's like it's not trying to express something that i could just fucking tell you right. <laughs> like and explain to you because uh, if it is then why make a goddamn movie it's yeah. like part of why i think a lot of like i mean i'm trying to think of the movies that are the most loved like are any of them loved because their plots made so much sense like, I don't think so. Like, there's examples of very tightly plotted movies, like, that have surprises. There's, like, you know, Sixth Sense, we were talking about earlier, of, like, that there's little breadcrumbs and things that people love. Or, like, Back to the Future, stuff like that. There are examples of that. But it's, like, 
do we love Wizard of Oz? Because it makes so much fucking sense that she goes right. to like <laughs> Oz and shit. Like it's just uh. it, it it's really like depressing. It feels very much like a thing of this particular moment in movies uh, and like it feels related to like the DC movies situation to me somehow of just like people who don't just I mean I don't like to be dismissive but I do think it's like total fucking morons who <laughs> like would not know a good movie if it smacked them in the face like truly oh, just man. think and and think that they are cinephiles, mm-hmm. even though they've never seen a movie that like WB, you know, DC films didn't make. It's just like, like sense and logic is actually not the main metric by which films are, you know, evaluated well, typically. And I agree a thousand percent. But counterpoint being, there are some movies, and there are definitely some genres where it needs to make sense, like. A mystery you can't i mean well like like a and i mean like a more like a murder mystery like a straightforward kind of thing again i guess twin peaks is a murder mystery um, <laughs> but like there are, there are some times where the movie at least moves in the direction of like oh and i'm someone i'll nitpick a bad movie to death and be like this doesn't make any sense i would say that's probably the number one thing i say on this podcast probably is that it doesn't make sense but it's right. like just wait until our Nolan triple feature. Mm-hmm. But I still know when that's not a film's priority. Like I, that's the I'm thing. cognizant it's... enough to realize, like I'm watching a David Lynch film. He doesn't care right. about that. And See, I agree. At the same time, it's like his movies are not big. It's not all following dream logic. Totally. It's just mm-hmm. like he makes his points in a more, honestly, in a, what I would call a more visual way Mm -hmm. like a more surreal purely visual way a lot of the time like things look how they look not because that's in imitation of reality it's because like that's his vision for how shit should look well and that's that's actually that's maybe that that kind of pushes me into what i was trying to think or trying to get at was there are movies that you feel and there, there are filmmakers yeah. that try to make you feel. And then there are movies that uh, the fun of them is uh, thinking that they try to make you think and not like, oh, this makes me think about climate change or this makes me think about, you know, some. But I mean, like the intricacy of the plot is what you're following. And so yeah. it must add up to something really thrilling at the end or satisfying. Uh, so, yeah, there's and that's and both there are good movies that are coming from the think field and there are good movies that come from the feel field there are bad movies in both categories too like a movie could really try to make you feel something it could be you know uh i can't think of an example but just like it could be very much in that lynch style and i could still walk away from it being like that was fucking awful and i might my first you know tool i reach for might be it didn't make any sense it didn't you know that kind of a thing or something mm-hmm. so like I think that that's where some of the Reddit, because you got to remember with Reddit, I always forget this, but they're basically, it's mostly teenagers. Like they're not they're, You think like, well, this person is also 35 or 36, but like, I think it's like, I could see myself when I was like 16, completely dismissing some movie that I love now that, although I don't know, maybe not. Like I always loved 2001. I always loved Eraserhead, but you know what I mean though? And like, so it's like, I think it's like, maybe as they grow up a little bit, they will, maybe they'll finally get a movie that does get them to feel something. Also, there are just people whose personalities, like they don't really feel as much as they, they like to think like they're more methodical. And so like, like my mom is like, there's no way I would ever be like, Hey mom, let's sit down and watch a race. <laughs> but like my dad, 
who still has never seen a racer head. It's like, I really want him to watch a racer head. Yeah. And, and he's not like a feely guy either. It's just kind of, it's like, can a person feel a movie that way? Or would a person just be kind of like pushed off or uh, t- turned off by like a Lynch movie? And yeah, anyway. I watched this That's... good YouTube video like years ago that I can't find now that was about David Lynch's painting practice mm. and uh, particularly about like a lot of his paintings have just like words or deal in some way with like language and how language fails to express. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that sort of changed. I don't know. It helps. It helps like clarify what he's interested in as an artist. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It just it's de- it's depressing to me. I guess it's I guess it only becomes depressing cuz I don't think I'm someone who's like I'm not annoyed by the existence of like stupid people. Like, you know what I mean? Like I don't go around being bothered by that most of the time, but it is like sometimes oh, cool. when That's it feels nice. like there we go. When it feels like um that's who's being catered to, I guess. Like I'm, by the by like yeah. this, that's a, that kind of stinks. The most yeah. the most interesting thing that's for me, like not 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 interesting in a cool way, but like the biggest thing that's going on in movies right now is this in my world is this fucking insanity with Warner Brothers. And they're figuring out their DC property and the the rhetoric that uh, that the fans are using and just the um it's it's so it's such a strange thing um where it's just these where you've got a movie that is so bad that you have droves of people like last last night uh Brandon and I were reading this this long-winded internet comment about what a tearjerker black adam was and it's just <laughs> it's so fucking it's 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 un, it's unsettling this is an unsettling horror movie and it's playing out in real life um and maybe it's you should like, make a movie about that that'd be cool I, but i would i totally totally think that there is a there is a college course in here somewhere about the 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 last five or six years of like the DC fandom and like the starting with starting with them uh, with, you know, a bunch of internet weirdos claiming that uh, Disney was using Rotten Tomatoes uh, to like skew the, you know, lower percentages towards DC movies or whatever, despite the fact that Warner brothers had a stake in Rotten Tomatoes. Well, what's what's funny to me about that though, is that, their suspicion was that they were tanking DC scores and not as much what they're probably actually doing. Well, see, this is the thing. To those guys, the scariest idea is Disney manipulating the scores on Rotten Tomatoes. To me, the scariest idea is that the scores are real. And that's yes. so yes. that there's so many Marvel movies on Rotten Tomatoes that have critic scores that I'm just like, how how in the fuck like i mean well but also it's probably anyway yeah it's also it's also a failing in like which works to rotten tomatoes uh benefit which is that the the score like no one understands what the score actually means 
that and that they went like it was all right, and then it's like exactly hundred percent, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> it's and it's 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 a genius, you know, uh, business, you know, business model, but it it fucking sucks for like uh, anybody who wants to know if a movie's good. Mm-hmm. Um, so now you have this like a, an even greater rejection of of criticism because people are unfortunately associating you know the entire critical sphere with a fucking percentage and like you've got people like the fucking raw i mean like six months ago it was the 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 snyder freaks and like they get an occasional breadcrumb from like david ayer saying you know my version of suicide squad would have been amazing or you know (laughs) you had you had Zack snyder who most people's grandmas don't know who the fuck Zack snyder is you know posting a picture of a film reel saying hashtag release a snyder cut but now you've got people like the rock saying you know tweeting to everybody's aunt and uncle Thank you so much to the fans and the 90% audience score, uh, which is being brigaded by, um, you know, a, a battalion of, of online trolls. It's just like this weird thing where a very bad movie called Black Adam has to be postured into the best movie ever made or a bunch of people are going to fucking commit suicide. Like that—that <laughs> that is what's happening, and it's like, it's like you go into all these different. I've spent way too much time on this. Um, truly, I've spent so much time on this. But it's like I, I, so I've been hanging out in the DC subreddit just to like watch <laughs> sanity fall apart, and then you, and then I go into like the the box office subreddit. And then you see the DC guys are coming over to the box office subreddit because they're they're having to convince them they're having to so what they're doing is they're essentially assigning their logic to why Black Adam is good and why it's a it's a rip roaring success and they have to like like find a way to make the numbers work for that and it's like it's not it's not a success it's not a success guys but because it's a character no one's heard of that somehow plays into the, its monetary success, and it's like, well, that doesn't make any sense either. It's like it's all just fucking math. Um, anyway, I could really go on and on about this. <laughs> I like, I feel like I, I, I could, I, you're gonna, I could turn my camera around and you would just see a wall full of like <laughs> drawings and yarn and tacks and shit. It's <laughs> just so, like, see, guys, this is what's happening here, and it all connects here. There's a question mark in the middle or something. Let's uh, let's um let's really sell our year end episode. Is Andrew will be just thoroughly going through the DC uh, mystery. Uh, for our listeners, I, mean, uh, I, I can listen to that. I find there, it. I find it yeah, very interesting. I think it's interesting. There is. I was going to say though. There's an incredible like if like I've been going through like the th- the 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 sort of like timeline in my head about just just specifically the last like five to six years, and it is insane. And like I'm thinking about like every so a few months ago, everybody was like. You have to kill everything. You have to start everything over. Like, they fucked it up so bad. It's so awful. And then the second The Rock starts tweeting about Black Adam being, like, the the new, the thing, the, we've done it. We've finally achieved this thing that you freaks need in order to validate you being you. We've finally done it. And 
they've ascent and then they've hired and then in the same week they've hired James Gunn to be like the 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 new guy the guy the 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 the, the brain head behind you know what the mastermind so now like the Kevin yeah Kevin the Kevin B. Feige yeah exactly Feige. so they've hired so they've hired D- uh, James Gunn to be that guy all well and good super great but you which the problem with that is if Black Adam is a success it fucks up that whole thing. James Gunn, you've you've created a smaller sandbox for James Gunn to do the thing that you want him to do. You want James Gunn... You desperately need a cinematic universe because nothing else gets you off anymore. You need it so bad, baby. <laughs> and so you hired a guy who's made the only good DC content that... That did not do well. Didn't do well. Well... <laughs> pandemic shit but peacemakers was like the biggest hit on earth for you know, right. six weeks but anyway my point is you've 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 got the guy now you've got this thing that's in tatters you can you can you can say goodbye to it but no you also need this movie that's horrible you need it to be a success for some reason so you have these two things that are completely at odds yeah with each exactly other. that's what i mean it's just like you the hiring of james gunn suggests that they know he made, and I didn't like that movie, but like it, he made the only decent, one of the only decent like DC movies, and he and he's a competent director. Mm-hmm. So if you hire him, it shows like we realize our films are shit, and we would like them to be better. Yes, but he also made one of the worst performing, <laughs> like right. DC movies, under certain circumstances, but also you know. Anyway, I I think it's more than a pandemic that that underperformed. But, like, then you have to – like, you're right. It's like that – but – so you hire that guy, which shows you want to make, you know, quote-unquote art, not, you know, whatever. But that – but now they have, like, their shittiest movie ever. No, they don't care about art. That's not it. The shittiest movie ever, and they have to – how, yes. Yeah. How are it, those gonna work? They need it. They, but that's the thing, and it's just like you, yeah. So you've 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 per- you're purposely making your your sandbox smaller. Your 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 possibility for success is you know is is further dwindling because because you have to convince the world that the thing you spend all your time. It's yelling like Amazon, about online has Amazon to be Amazon and Rings of Power is doing the same exact thing where they're having <laughs> they are like flat out lo- pretending like oh my god we made so much money and it was so successful and everyone <laughs> loved it and it was like it got its ass absolutely hit. but that's also I was just reading an article about Netflix doing that that like Netflix lying about how many sub- new subscribers they have which is like that's basically especially when all of these things are just like it's it's just capital yes you know it's just investment it doesn't matter if you make anything good because you can just lie and say like oh yeah everybody loved that but like write it off as a tax loss and then just never let anybody (laughs) see it ever again but like rings of power cost an insane amount of money yeah it was a really 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 dumb investment and the show fucking sucked like yeah um it was bad and it got its ass kicked by ironically by Game of Thrones actually seemingly understanding what they did wrong <laughs> and like, you know, doing making choices that might 
alienate an audience because they were good for story. Yeah. And it and, ended up being a success. And hmm. side, side note on Lord of the Rings, one thing that's very funny. I have not seen a single frame of that show. Uh, but uh, so most people know that like they didn't when they what they bought from the Tolkien, what the Tolkien estate would sell Jeff Bezos is like the appendices of mm-hmm. like right. some obscure part of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So it's like they can't use almost anything that people are familiar with, basically, and if they make a bunch of shit up, uh, because Christopher Tolkien, Tolkien's son, would was like wouldn't would give them so little, and they paid an incredible amount of money for it, it was like a billion dollars <laughs> or whatever, or whatever the fuck it was. Mm-hmm. And then I was reading, like a few months, like, like a month ago, that the Tolkien, the Christopher Tolkien died, and they like were like immediately like, all right. Who's buying? And <laughs> and they sold like some some like some huge media conglomerate, some some video game company or something like bought everything for seven hundred fifty million dollars. So some so so they just wow. tur- so Amazon you know does all this work, spends years developing this show that you know by all accounts sucks, except for apparently them themselves, and then they immediately. You know the guy who make who refused them dies, and then they just sell it to some other company. <laughs> That's crazy. Right. I didn't know that they sold. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know whatever the Tolkien. Yeah, estate I don't. Owns, I don't but... know what the like. You know, I yeah, I don't know what the rights pertain to. Like what they can actually produce from it. I just right. know that like they're they're very famously stingy with their stuff. Christopher Tolkien like really hated the Lord of the the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings. Um, huh. So there was like. Like they were even more resistant after those movies came out, and then when finally Amazon came, they just had to keep offering more and more money for less and less, essentially, until it was like, "Yeah, sure, fuck, have a good time, thanks for all this money." If somebody would just give me one million, I bet I would have, I could, I could do something better than. Uh, oh, I'm sure. I don't know. Whatever. I do want to say. I want to say. I want to say one more thing. This will not be the last I say about the DC shit because it is truly just like an amazing uh dumpster fire that's just it's it's it in in some ways to me it's like the 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 future of cinema hinges on this movie failing like it's it's so weird to me watching it all happen but so essentially it's it's not about creating good movies it's not about creating good art it's about recreating what marvel's doing and there's a lot of bad things to say about Marvel and their impact on the wider industry. Um, and most of them, maybe all of them are true. What I would say is that for me personally, the greatest value artistically that I think Marvel holds is that they're the only people who've done it. Like truly. And I think the people who are mimicking and trying like desperately trying to catch up for the last for like a decade they've been trying to catch up i think that's i think that's causing a lot of turmoil i think that's I, I destroying agree. that's destroying warner brothers and i'm not saying that marvel you know uh, three marvel movies a year and f- fucking who knows how many tv shows isn't a problem i'm not saying that's not a problem but i'm saying that and the you know tidal wave of diarrhea that is every studio trying to do the exact fucking same thing is 
also a huge fucking problem. And so they don't care. They don't care about creating good movies, creating good art. They just want, they just want that sweet, sweet, I don't know, Marvel endorphin rush. And I don't, I don't, I don't Which totally is get so, it. It's so passe at this point. Cause like I personally, I choose to believe, I think Marvel is on the downslope for sure. I don't think they know what to do after they accomplished the thing that mm-hmm. they were trying to do. But I agree. It's the same as anybody who comes out and like copies Blair Witch or whatever. It's like, oh, we want to do a Blair Witch now or we want to do a paranormal activity now. Like we're going to do our Godfather movie now, like right. or our Silence of the Lambs. It's kind of the same thing because like I agree. The thing you can't take away from Marvel is that they did a thing that nobody had ever done before. And then and it's real lame to be like, oh, we're going to do that now. That was cool. I want to do it. It's like, no, have a fucking idea. Yeah. Fucking 14 then, years later. Like the reason yeah. it's like you can respect on some level what Marvel did because it was a new thing in movies mm-hmm. that they did. And like even if you don't like the movies or think they suck, it's like, well, they pulled it off. They pulled off what they were trying to do pretty well. And it was pretty original thing to do. So it, and, and so thing- all these people are just like, well, now I want the fucking monster verse. It's like, no, that's fucking stupid. Here, here, and here's the here's the crazy thing to me, because Warner Brothers did try to be like, OK, fuck it. We can't we we can't do this the way they're doing it. We got to just we have to just focus on making good movies like w- they legitimately Warner Brothers DC tried and people just won't. They they yell even louder for what they want. So, you know, after after Zack Snyder single-handedly created and destroyed uh, the DC <laughs> brand in the matter of five years, um, they started focusing less and less, especially like after Justice League, they focused less and less on like that interconnectedness. And so you'd have movies like Shazam come out, which even that, even though it is technically part of that cinematic thread it still feels very different even like aquaman i think feels very singular um but then you're also doing shit like you're making the batman one of the fucking hell yeah best movies of the year and that's kids, the that's part. gonna be that's my prediction is that's gonna be kids best movie of the year and it's gonna be better than top gun and we're gonna be mad because she said <laughs> we're gonna be mad so that's my prediction um but yeah so you so what i'm saying is like now, you. now, you, now you got <laughs> you got Warner Brothers saying like, "Fuck it, you know what? We're we can't do this thing that Marvel's doing. So instead, we'll have three Batman, and that's fucking nuts. But it's like <laughs> it's nuts in a way that's like, well, I, that's different. I'll look at that. Like that's different. That that's something that nobody else that the other guys that's not the doing. Level of difference we're dealing with now is like, I know, I know, well, these I know. guys have three Batmans and these guys <laughs> but only I'm have saying, one Batman. But but I think but I think but I think like in 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 terms of like the way the DC movies look, the way the Marvel movies, but look, it's also not different a, because that comes from in, in, to Enter the Spider Verse. Sure, I'm so, just I understand. I'm just saying what I'm saying is that the <laughs> the Batman. If I was going to tell if somebody comes up to me this you know and says I hate comic book movies, I don't want to watch any more comic book movies. Totally fine. I would still recommend The Batman to them. Yeah. Okay? And like uh and so I'm what I'm saying is that for a very short time Warner Brothers said, "Okay, let's just make 
one-off like let's just make let's just make movies again guys how about that let's get back <laughs> into the movie business so they made joker they made the batman uh so but that wasn't good enough so then now now they're now they're now they're like they're talking about fucking uh apparently the big thing now is like is the the batman the movie that came out six months ago is that now gonna be part of like like are they gonna find some way to like rope that shit into their bullshit into their bullshit cinematic universe and so i'm sitting here reading this shit and i'm just like poor robert pattinson i know that's what i'm them like can helping get out of this yeah jesus christ <laughs> uh, the, if if i'm robert pattinson or any actor of uh you know who has self-respect i'm putting a no yeah. cinematic universe clause <laughs> into all my contracts <laughs> you are not allowed to retroactively make my movie part of the dc cinematic universe <laughs> Anyway, okay, so, Michael. Sorry, I know. Not to not to derail. No, no, no. It's I actually I do find it very interesting. And I'm, it's I'm very wild. out of the loop, so it's yeah. it's very interesting. But I I told Sarah right around noon I would okay. try to, to okay. get out. Um. So I'm gonna wrap it up and then. Can I can I quick uh, quick cruise minute thirty seconds? Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. This is uh Paul Dano talking about um working on Night and Day with Tom Cruise. Um. He says watching Tom Cruise's meticulous approach to doing stunts for that film was an educational experience for Dano. Cruz's ability to consider how every aspect of the production would be affected by his work shaped the way that Dano approached directing Wildlife, which I don't know if you have seen Wildlife, but it's pretty, no. it's really good. Um, so he says, says, I know when I was I know when I was directing, I wanted to feel like when my actor steps on set, everything changes. I have a really clear memory of watching Cruz work with the stunt team, and I remember seeing how he considered the audience and the impact of the stunts on the audience and how passionate and rigorous he was about that. It was a real lesson. I had not seen an actor consider the audience and the impact of how a stunt and the cut of the camera would feel for the audience, and I took that with me. I always think of the of that. Uh, always think that the, con- the the content lends itself to the form. And there's a group of people, there's a temperature and a vibration on set, and that's how the director works. And I thought that was very cool. Cool. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. Very cool. Indeed. Okay, well, uh, thank you both. Thanks for joining us tonight, folks. Uh, uh, please join us. I don't know, Mike. What, what are we going to watch next week? <laughs> So this will just be a one-off triple that we're putting in the middle of things. So I think the thing that's next for people is my anime triple feature. It is, yeah. Which starts off with uh, Golgo 13. You know so. what's funny is you've you've queued up this trip, this anime triple in like... Multiple times. So many. Top Gun. Yeah, so bunch, yeah, a bunch of episodes. So <laughs> yeah. everybody, which I think is great because everybody's tuning in every week wondering, okay, finally I get to hear about Golgo 13. <laughs> I'm excited. I love, I mean, I guess it's a spoiler. Animal trip, anime triple was amazing. Yeah, it good. was fun. It was a good one. It was good one. different, but <clears throat> okay. Slow motion triple, uh, slow motion triple feature was recorded in. Well, it wasn't recorded at all. Didn't see that coming, did you? <laughs> <laughs> Special thanks to our producer Lee, the man in the booth who makes us sound great. If you'd like to contact us, please do so at slowmotiontriple at gmail dot com. Thank you. Hooray for-